Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Inner Consciousness. I am your host, Reverend Harvey L. Bailey. And tonight I am going to be joined by other special co-hosts tonight. But before we get started, I just want to say a few things. If you've listened to me for a while, even heard me once before, you know that sometimes I can become real transparent. But I tend to think that it's important especially in today's world, for us to get a deeper and better understanding of people. And the only real way to do that is kind of understand the path that they've walked. If you walk in someone's shoes, you truly understand them. But if you can understand the path that they walk, you have a better chance of understanding who they are. Because in any given moment, we all are the sum total of all of our thoughts, all of our learnings, Everything that we've accepted, we believe in that moment. So for me, my beginnings, <laughs> albeit so humble, began Baltimore City. A Baltimore native, I was raised in a single-parent household, though I knew my father. He barely had much time for me. And as time went on, he was no longer there, and it was me, my sisters, and my mother. And we went through the typical rough times that you go through living in the inner city. You know, my mother had her issues, mainly drugs and alcohol. And before I was 13, I found that I pretty much was left to my own devices to do whatever I wanted to do to make my own way to find out how I was going to survive. And so growing up with no parental uh, guidance, it's not as good as some kids may think it is. It can be pretty rough. By the time I was 14, because I had lost so much respect for my mom because of what she was doing, I went over the edge and she kicked me out. And so it's even rougher when you're out there at such a young age. Needless to say, by in nine months, I was back in the house, but things didn't necessarily change between the two of us. It was still rough. But that's all a part of my story. But that doesn't have to shape who I am. It made me who I am, but it doesn't have to shape who I am. What I mean by that is this. We get caught up in what's happened to us in the past, and we tend to think inside that box as if there's no other way. There's always another way. And part of the reason why we are talking about making America hate again is because people have believed the story that they grew up in, and they think that there's no other way. Well, this is how I was raised. This is what I was taught. This is what I was told. At some point, you have to take over from your parents or whoever raised you, and you have to start making your own decisions. You have to start thinking for yourself. You have to start deciding who you want to be in this moment 
and the next moment, and what are you going to do to be that? So, with that said, I'm going to introduce my first co-host, Reverend Arlene Cahet, who co-hosts or former co-hosted with me the One Love, One Connection, One Us. Arlene, how are you? I'm excellent. How are you doing, Harvey? I'm doing pretty good. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah. So, Arlene, tell us about you. Um, well, um, I will start with I'm originally from South Carolina, but that's not the only place that uh, I've lived. I was born and raised there, and I come from um, a, what you would call a traditional um, uh, traditional southern upbringing um, and background uh, in a very small town that could probably fit inside of, uh, you know, the, the room that I'm sitting in right now. And, um, and I have, I have uh, since um, when I was a teenager, I moved to Michigan. And I guess you could say that that, that really kind of jump-started my evolutionary process uh, in terms of my spiritual journey. And it, you know, got me the opportunity to travel a little bit more um, beyond uh, my experience before. I mean, I had traveled before prior, but let's just say that, that the opportunities in, in the city were far more uh, it, it opened up avenues for me that I hadn't known before. Um, it got me to the opportunity to be published uh, in a number of publications in, in uh, Detroit, Michigan. Uh, and then I guess you can say, you know, I spent like the majority of my young adult years there. And I also got married there. And uh, while I was there, I had a I had a place where I, when I got married, I lived over in Windsor, Ontario, because the person that I was married to I was a naturalized citizen of Canada, and then moved to Arizona, and then here to Maryland. Now, um, all of you may be wondering what this really has to do with me, but I would say that uh, my time in Arizona was what I would call my sort of second um, awakening. Uh, in in terms of being the person that I am now, uh, after my experience of getting a divorce while I was living in Arizona, um, I guess you could say that uh, it sort of uh, accelerated my spiritual path. Uh, during that time, that was where I became an ordained minister, and um, you know, having to reorient myself and really kind of discover who I was and to get far more clear about my spiritual path, what my, my purpose is. Um, that, that experience in Arizona was really responsible for that because up until that time, I think that I, I did not have a full and clear uh, idea of who I was beyond being a mother and being uh, the wife uh, to um, my ex-husband, uh, you know, my now ex-husband. 
then moving over here to uh, Baltimore, Maryland, um, I guess you could say that um, this is really where I had the opportunity to kind of um, lift my wounds and and discover who I who I um, who I wanted to be, and um, that's where I met Reverend Harvey, Reverend Jamal, um, and you know. Um, uh, Angie, who hasn't come on uh, quite yet, um, and I, I would say that that having having a support system of of people who are around you who support your spiritual journey and in your development, uh, um, I think that both Reverend Jay and Reverend Harvey here could, you know, testify to the fact that, you know, that the person that I that I am now compared to when they met me are two different, uh, you know, much different people. Um, and uh, that's pretty much it. But, oh, in addition to that, as far as my spiritual journey is concerned, um, I'm a healer, ordained minister, um, and I am also an intuitive and a relationship coach, all of which that I, I use at some way to assist people along in their uh, their own journey. Well, thank you, Arlene. Thank you. And as Arlene mentioned, we're also joined here today by Reverend Jamel Gilliam. Jamel, how are you, man? Oh, I'm I'm, I'm excellent. Uh, thank you for having me on the show to be a part of this. Um, Wow, where do I start? Um, <laughs> Anywhere uh, you want yeah. to. <laughs> so I am, um, you know, I'm, I'm I'm the son of uh, a single mom. I have one brother. Uh, although my father was in my life, he was a disabled vet. So as a result of his uh, disability, he was not directly in my life. Um, but I had I've had over the years a variety of of men, whether it be uncles or uh, boyfriends of my mom, uh, support me in my journey. Um, I did a little military time um, in the uh, in the in the army uh, and Army National Guard. Um, let's see, went, attended Morgan State University, where I majored in social work. Uh, Delaware State University, where I majored in uh, graduate social work, so I have an MSW. I'm currently a student now at Newman University. Uh, I was I was ordained about three years ago through One Spirit Interfaith Seminary. Uh, I'm also a licensed practitioner through the Centers of Spiritual Living. I'm married to a wonderful woman uh, who's also a social worker and recently uh, is, is Dr. Krista Gilliam. Um, I have two beautiful children, a boy and a girl, 11 and 14. Um, and I've worked in Baltimore as a as a clinician, mental health clinician, for uh, well, let me say this: I've worked in human services in Baltimore for over 20 years, um, since like '95. I think that was probably my first job actually working with people where I was doing mental mental health uh, support. And so I um I've had I've had my travels and journeys. And one thing that led me to working with spirit as it relates to people is I noticed that that kept coming up. And so that. You know, although I have a secular beginning, I believe that it, uh, you know, just working with the people and realizing what they needed and what they asked for, I ultimately became a minister because I wanted to know more, and it also assisted me on my own personal journey, which I'm still uh, had. I don't think you ever 
I don't think you ever uh, finalize the journey. I think as a minister, you pretty pretty much live it out loud, so people get to see uh, and hold you accountable, or ask questions, or whatever, whatever they choose that they're going to do. Um, but yeah, I have over 20 plus years working in the Baltimore area, and um, I'm looking forward to what's to come. I enjoy working with Harvey, Arlene, and some of the other folks that are connected to the Family Healing Circle, and uh, I'm just happy to be here. All right. Well, thank you, brother. I appreciate that, and I appreciate both of you. And let's go ahead and get into our first question. So let me ask you guys, is making America hate a real thing? I'm sure you've heard that saying, you know, making America hate again. Is that a real thing, or is it just propaganda? What do you think? I don't know. Speak at once. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, yeah, it is. It, do you want to take it first, Reverend Jay? No, I'm going to. I defer to you. Okay. So, I think you know, for the most part, I would say that it is that it's a combination of the two. Now, the, I will say that the here's the thing about the very nature of the propaganda. Uh, the propaganda is really like uh, deeply entrenched in the the school system. It's entrenched in the culture here in in the United States, and uh, I think um, that you know. If a person a person has matriculated through school without without having to be you know affected by and I'm and I'm talking about it within the school books because you know even when the telling of the story here in the United States is told it's told from the standpoint of of uh, the people who came over here and look to conquer this part of uh, of the world. Um, and as a result of it, it be, because it's deeply entrenched in the, I guess you could say, the, the, um, the culture of this country, um, people, you know, people believe the hype. There are so many contributions from all, you know, all walks of people, all, from all walks of life who have created the U.S. Um, and, you know, created the system that we're in. But it's deeply, it has been deeply entrenched in, um, what is it, you know, um, you know, white supremacy. And I think that people really do need to kind of be mindful of that. And in order to have a more, a, a deeper understanding, you really have to go beyond, like, the elementary teaching that you uh, are given in the schools. I know that for myself. I mean, let me ask you a question. Let me ask sure. you a question just so that I can make sure that we're on track together. Uh, are you saying that because um, we go back to the question, the question is making America hate real or is it just propaganda and you said it it's was propaganda. both and you start it's, talking about propaganda so are you saying that the american school system teaches people to hate 
Yes. It, it's subtle. Okay. It's subtle. It, it, it is a subtle thing. But, yes, we are taught to uh, to hate, you know, you know, or people are taught to hate one another in the school system. Just in just in the telling of just in the telling of the history, just and and then it's it's like reinforced through visual media, and and uh, you know and in the news, and there I mean it it is propaganda, but the thing is is that it has been, it has actually you know was developed within the foundation of of those Europeans that came over over in the first place um, and started, you know, perpetuating their idea of what America is. And it's, there's a larger story out there compared to, you know, compared to what the, you know, what has been told and taught to us. And I'm, I'm talking about all of us. All of us have, have been influenced by this propaganda. Um, and as a result um, of this propaganda, the you know the 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 other part of your question um you would have to actually you know actively seek out like a different perspective in order to have a more balanced view and to not be at nearly as affected by it um as to not be nearly as affected by it as the rest of the world so you're saying that making america hate is also real it's real and it's it propaganda. Is, I mean, it, 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 you know, it, it's real in the sense that people actually act on the, the you know, the the nonsense. So that but makes don't it, they have that, a choice whether to act on it or not? Yeah, they do have a choice, but you know, but they're caught up. They're caught up in the story that they've been taught, taught all of these years, and okay. and. And the history that they teach themselves and the way they tell that history. And, you know, I, I find it fascinating oftentimes when, you know, you, you listen to people talk about, and no, no offense to anybody who has served in the military, but, you know, that, that they wear that like a badge of honor. But, the, you know, the, the, the military has been used to do some treacherous things. Um, and the thing is, is that this idea of this greatness um, that was sold by our now president elect. Um, you know, he he is a victim of that that you know that that story that has been going on for years and and polishing over it and making it look more pretty than it really is. Okay. So, but with that said, wouldn't that mean that every country is going through the same thing because? As I said, as I started off with saying, I told briefly my story, and I said that that's what got me to where I am. But that doesn't have to mean that's who I am. You know, we get to choose to step away from our story. But any country you go to, they have their own story. So mm-hmm. if the American school system, if the American way of life teaches us to hate, wouldn't that be the same in most countries? At least most first world countries. Um, uh, well, I, the the answer the answer is yes, and let's put it this way. Um, the here's here's where I suppose the all countries on some level do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Now, 
the the thing is is that a person would have to at some point in their experience want to experience uh, want to experience more want to move outside of their circle, but you will find that many people you know stay within their hometown within like a certain you know a certain radius of wherever it is that they live they're they're comfortable with with uh their lives and and they will look at you if as if you were strange um when you when you tell them that um that you have a different idea or a different perspective than what they have and it's because you are more tra- well traveled you you study more you study somebody else's history you study the you know maybe you would be the type of person who would actually go ahead and look and, you know, do your own translations of whatever the text may be of those who may be telling the history. Um, but it, it, it has to, you know, on a certain level, it has to be a choice. But um, whether or not, you know, the thing is, is that there, there has to be a desire on the person's part um, to break out of that particular paradigm in order to have some type of some type of growth to grow beyond like uh, grow beyond the story that that you've been told. Um, I do recall uh, at one point that I did see somebody call into a television show, and they had um, and they apparently did not like um, who you know that they lived in fear because um, I guess you could say that. Uh, white supremacy is largely based off of the fear of other people and thereby, you know, dehumanizing others. And But he he came to the realization that he was living in fear of, you know, of black people specifically. And he did call into the show and he specifically asked the person um, what could he do in order to not be so afraid he really he recognized that in himself. He wanted to change that within himself. But I would say that the larger part of the reason why we're even having this particular discussion is because a lot of people are not looking to break themselves out of that that paradigm and that mold. They want to they want to, you know, make what it is that they were taught and they want to make the propaganda that that has been perpetuated, they want that want that to maintain as as a as a as a reality for them, uh, regardless of whatever may be in front of their faces. And and just so you know, the the answer to that was that she actually suggested that the gentleman um, read text by um, by uh, authors that were not necessarily. Um, taught by the mainstream, and she def- she gave him books on um, and gave him um, titles of books so that he can read in order to get a more, I, I guess you could say, larger, expansive view than what he had grown up with, so that he would not necessarily look uh, look uh, at melanated people with fear. Okay. All right, mm-hmm. and that's interesting. Though I question this because some of those people who came to this country that you talked about were people who were well traveled, 
And it was because of what they knew, they took advantage of those people who were not as well-traveled. So that can make you very dangerous. Also, if we look at today's environment, a lot of Caucasians are upset with the racism as well. I can remember seeing right after the election, you know, a big post where white people were holding up signs that say white people are tired of white people's prejudices. So I, I don't know. I, I There's definitely, you know, some hate going on. I don't necessarily know if I feel, I feel, that our school teaches it. There's definitely an indoctrination program, but that's everywhere you go because that's what schools teach. Instead of teaching critical thinking and allowing you to think for itself, it teaches an indoctrination. And, yes, history is always told by the winners. Mm-hmm. So we have to, like you said, seek that information separate from what we're given because, obviously, what our school systems do is just prepare us to be the worker bees in somebody else's system. It certainly does not prepare us to be the leaders. It doesn't prepare us to get out there and think for ourselves. Um, But I would not necessarily say for me that I think it teaches hate. Um, I think it puts you in a system that doesn't necessarily teach hate, but hate is intertwined within that system. But Reverend Jamel, I want to get you in on the conversation. Again, I want to go back to that question. Is making America hate real or is it just propaganda? And I will echo uh, Arlene in that I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, The unfortunate thing about, and I just listened to what you were saying, you know, there's no one size fits all as it relates to America. You know, there's people in uh, uh, the various populations, whether it be urban, rural, or suburban, and you may get a different response based on where they are. I agree. There were white people who were upset, uh, you know, came within his new elected uh, status. But I think there were also some folks that were celebrating because, you know, almost as if, uh, you know, that was some get back to be done. You know, we've had eight years of so-called liberalism, and I think there's some folks that that weren't too happy about it. And it's interesting that it comes in the form of, of racism and, and and viewpoints that also you know isolate other people. Now this is you know this is the country that we say is a melting pot, which means that we mm-hmm. are saying out loud that we are an open society, open to all different variations of of people. However, when you look around, you know when when there's attack on African Americans and blacks, when there's attack on Hispanics and Muslims, you know, and attacks on women, that that doesn't, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Demonstrate that there, you know, this is that type of country. This isn't a melting pot. I think we have a facade that we're living by, and so uh, you know there is there's the element that you know the hate is real, and then you have the propaganda where some people actually benefit from, you know, from there being a separation amongst the people. You know, there there are so many ways we can separate ourselves, whether it be your social economic status, whether it be your religious denomination, and I think there there are people out there that benefit. And profit off of that. As long as there are people who 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 are able to benefit from it, you know, the, the races will never get together. The uh, the religions will never get together. You know, the cultures will just never get together because they will constantly benefit on how and what people are different. You know, in the ways that they're different. And it's unfortunate because, like I said in the beginning, we we share with the world that we are a melting pot, and that could be 
you know, nothing could be further from the truth uh, because we're not that. You know, there are so many people in this country that oftentimes feel trapped because this is pretty much it. I, I laugh when I hear white people say, uh, and I've, I've heard this frequently, even more recently, go back to Africa. Well, I'm not mm-hmm. so sure the Africans want us either. You know, I've, I've seen them say to other people, go back to wherever. And, and the, the funny thing about this statement is that they themselves are immigrants. Mm-hmm. So, you, know, you know, and so it, I often just kind of chuckle to myself because they all have a story, you know, of having parents of German descent, of English and Scottish descent, of French descent, and, you know, no one's telling them to go back. And it's almost, you know, the Native Americans, you know, if they had any sense, would say that and should say that. I don't think they're as uh, outlandish. I could, I guess, I shouldn't say had any sense, but they don't. They don't really. I don't think that's something that they're not as boisterous with that. I, have, I haven't seen, at least not in uh, the northeast portion of the country. I'm sure in the Midwest and the uh, West Coast they say it, but I haven't seen it out here where they have been so bold to just say that because, you know, they all, you know, these folks almost feel like this is their country, and I'm talking specifically about Caucasians who make mm-hmm. racist statements. Uh, and it is unfortunate because it just further perpetuates the the level the level of se- separation and segregation that we have. So for me, it's my hope. I mean, I love to talk about diversity and how we're all together and we get so much from one another. But then you have that one person who just kind of says, you know, oh, you know, they don't agree with it or they'll mistreat you because you're black or because you're poor or mm-hmm. because you're, you know, uneducated or whatever they consider you to be. And it just further exacerbates the, the separation that we have in this country. This country, unfortunately, is is doomed if we can't come together. I don't I don't see it getting better uh, with this next administration. And I'm talking specifically about politics because he kind of came in with that level that tone. Uh, mm-hmm. he, you know, he talked about draining the swamp, but then he filled it with a whole lot of people with questionable integrity. And I'm just I'm just concerned. You know, and I know you'll ask this question later about. This country being for our for our children. I'm not, I, you know, mm-hmm. if I could get uh, I, I, Arlene mentioned something about dual citizenship. I, I'm I'm really looking into that because uh, we need somewhere else to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know that's very interesting because he did set a tone, like you said, after eight years of a black president, there were people who was upset, but. Like Arlene said, this country has racism in it, and I only separate with her, not saying that I don't agree, but I separate in the thought that it teaches hate, but it does – it's an indoctrination, and intertwined in the American system is a Euro culture. You know, because it is told by the story of the people who won. And so with Europeans having come over and so-called founded, you know, a house where there were people already living and said, I like this house. I need you to stay in the bathroom and I'll keep the rest of it. it. They created a system. And within that system, like you said, um, Jamel, there were people who were willing to be more open and there were people who were less willing to be more open. And so for people who were less willing to be more open here in the 21st century, we saw when 2008 happened, when that election came, we saw history in the making. And there was so those people who were so stuck in their story what they had learned from their parents and their grandparents and so on, that this is impossible, this should never happen. And for them, it was the worst thing in the world, so much so 
that there were people who were public figures who represented communities, politicians, who said in the midterm election their whole agenda, and they got elected on it, was that they will not help this president be successful. They'll do anything they can to make him be unsuccessful. That was a major divide for a country that considers itself to be a great American melting pot. But it spoke to certain people who that was their mindset. And so the current elect administration just fed right into that. He saw how angry certain people were, and he just fed into that, and, well, now we have what we have. And so that just kind of brings me to this next question, which is off the list that I sent you guys. Do you think America is great? I think it has the potential to be great, but to, you know, and, and then here's the thing, you know, you would have to qualify what what greatness um, or greatness is. I think the idea and concept of the United States is, is a great concept. Um, however, um, because of the divide um, economically, uh, socially, uh, the because of because of that it 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 falls short of of being what it really can can be. So when he came out, the um, president elect and talked about making America mm-hmm. great, exactly who would be making it great for? Because I know right. the Native Americans would want to ship them back. You know, and what does that mean? Does that mean that you know making America great? Does that mean you know that black people become slaves anymore? And there's no with the mindset that that black many black people have today. That's not. That's definitely not going to happen. And so, what does that? What does that even mean? Well, it was making America great again, but I agree 100% with everything you said because those are my sentiments. Making America great again means let's go back to the days of Ronald Reagan. So if you remember those eight years during the 80s, you know, when there was a move upwards for the white middle class for the most part. And, yeah, there were some black people who benefited too, but there was a big surge upwards for the white middle class, and the trickle-down economics never trickled down. It it never made it down to the hood where I grew up at. Or or let's go back to the days of Nixon, you know, which, again, was another strong economic time time for, you know, middle-class white people. So that's what the code words were. And also, if you think about what was going on during the time of Nixon, you know, we were talking civil rights back then. We wanted to be able to come in and go out the same door, use the same bathroom, ride in the front of the bus. So, yeah, and if you think about what it was like under the Reagan era, you know, we started to see the decline of the urban family and the urban areas. Rec centers started to get shut down. Funds were pulled from poor schools. After-school programs started to disappear. Um, Summer jobs started to go away, except for those that were funded by private institutions and the few that you could get government money to support. And most of those didn't make it through the whole summer. 
And then, of course, mm-hmm. we saw crack cocaine come into the ghettos in the early 80s. So, but that was, you know, making it great, making America great again. Right. Yeah, <laughs> well. You know, I... <laughs> Yeah. Go ahead, I, yeah, I'm not I'm not feeling it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you, Arlene. I'm not feeling it either. <laughs> I'm Go ahead, Jamel. I'm often perplexed when I hear people say things that you know, black people are lazy. And uh I mean that's that further perpetuated racism because we built this country for free. Or, you know, little yeah. to no repayment. And I think it's interesting when that comes up because we did something that they wouldn't do. I'm not saying that they could mm-hmm. do, I don't know, but I think we did something that they wouldn't do. And so oh. it's interesting how often, you know, like you said, they go back to certain times. I mean, you know, I almost feel like bringing in Trump almost erased everything that, uh, you know, Obama, this outgoing administration, work to achieve. I mean, it's almost as if we're taking the 20 years back because uh, Ronald Reagan did not, you know, he, he didn't work towards the betterment of social welfare programs. He, he At thought all. about a handout. And the unfortunate thing that people forget, if, if, if folks on Capitol Hill aren't paying cash for a doctor's visit, then they're getting social welfare. They're getting, they're getting a, a, a break. So I think it's funny when they say people are getting handouts and they're begging and, and, and want, you know, don't want to pay full price, but they they themselves are not. So it's interesting that we we haven't questioned that, and they've gotten over. If you look at uh, some of the movies of that time, like maybe the '70s, um, which I think Nixon was president, we had uh, Claudine. And Claudine, if you remember that movie, uh, Claudine basically made it. There was a punit that, that women were punished uh, in, in, in tax if they had a man in the house. But as long as they, the man wasn't in mm-hmm. the house, they could get their, their their benefits. And it's unfortunate because people needed what they, you know, times were hard. So they, they if they had a relationship, it was like it almost like reinforced the idea of black families not being together. Mm-hmm. Don't, you know, don't don't accept him in here. You get you get your money if he ain't here. If he here then we're going to tax you. You're not going to get your money. And it's unfortunate because the women, some women actually believe that. You know, so this is this is the kind of thing that we, you know, they're not they're not for families. They're not for people evolving and growing. And Because and, when they live their house potential, this country lives their house potential. So I agree with you when you say, I mean, I, I will say this country is a great country, but it has yet to, to see its greatness. And that's the problem, that we have stifled our own greatness, and, and, and I don't know if that's going to ever change because you know folks get afraid, they get they, they fear certain groups of people, you know, uh, coming up and realizing their worth. They they fear that. I'm not. And this country is built on uh, insecurity. We're not talking about a country that's you know sure of itself. We, we're talking about a country that that you know people who came here. That were uh, exiled from their own country that, that came here. They mm-hmm. secured themselves. So we can't possibly think that they're going to be fair with everything that they do to other people. And I'm not just talking about blacks, I'm talking about everyone who's come after us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
I mean, if you look at the history of this country from the very beginning, and I think we're all in agreement that it has the potential to be great, but that it's never really been great because, like Arlene said, ask Native Americans. You know, if from the very beginning, they, sh- you know, the Europeans showed up, the Native Americans helped them survive a first winter, and look what happened. You know, the military in the 1800s had bounties on Native Americans. They moved them off of their land. Some were paid, but many were just forcefully pushed off of their land. You know, and to your point, Jamel, you talk about the hard work that we put in. I grew up in the 70s and into the 80s. And I remember Saturday mornings being Cowboys, and you know I'm a big Dallas Cowboy fan. We think of Cowboys as a white guy with a hat on and the boots, but that wasn't really a Cowboy. You know, a third, a third of all Cowboys were Mexicans. The term actually came from Mexico. It was actually Cowmen. It became cowboys when referring to another 25% that were all black. So here we've got 33 and a third plus 25. We've got 58 and a third percent of cowboys being people of color. The remaining, what, almost 42% were white. But that's not what we learned when we watched our westerns. That's not what we saw. You know, and then we we also get more bull, all this thing where they carried six shooters. Yeah, most towns, particularly the more civilized ones, you could not carry your gun walking up and down the street on your hip. If you were a drifter, you checked your gun with the local sheriff when you got in town. And the towns never really looked the way they did in the cowboy pictures until women came in. Women built the West to look the way it did when we saw it in the movies. Most towns was a shack here and a shack there, not even a whole house. There certainly wasn't any saloons or all the other businesses. The businesses came after the women came because people came to town because there was women. And women, yes, most were prostitutes, but that was how they made money because they made more money in prostitution than they did in the West and the Midwest than they did in the East Coast. And after most of them became prostitutes, they went on to start seamstress businesses. Um, They were even bankers. As a matter of fact, one state had women get into politics, and when the United States became the United States – That state refused, Wyoming, that state refused to join the U.S. unless women in that state was able to keep their right to vote. So whereas women throughout the rest of the U.S. still could not vote, and women didn't get the right to vote until after black men got it and then lost it, and then got it back later, but women didn't get the right right to vote until after that unless you were in Wyoming. So when we look at the history of this country, it's hard to say that it's great, but the potential, like you said, the blueprint for what America is and should be is great. 
but what it's become because of what we've allowed and what greed has allowed and what racism and prejudice has done. And, Arlene, I want you to tell your story about the stars because it really tells a good point about the psychology of people. But what that's done has really made this country not nearly as great as it should be. It's almost a shell of what it could be, yet it still has such great potential. Arlene, tell that story about the stars. Okay, you have to kind of refresh my memory. It's the one where the one group wanted the stars on the belly oh, and the other group. Oh, the speeches. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, so one of the one of the best uh, children's stories that I ever came across when I was younger, and it was one of my favorites, is uh, The Sneetches by Dr. Seuss. So I'm, I'm going to, without all the rhyming, I'm going to tell the story. So there were these star belly sneeches, and because they had a star on their belly, they were, and they were, you know, they felt that they were more superior to the ones that did not have a star on their belly, and they would, you know, go ahead and play their rainbow, uh, you know, reindeer games, and not include the non. Star belly sneeches uh, in in their games and in their socializing and things of that nature, and then you know and the you know the the the, the sneeches that did not have the stars on the belly, um, you know felt really bad about this. Well, there was this little monster that came along, and he had a machine that uh, that was able to put the stars on the bellies of the non-star belly speeches. And so, you know, I think he charged like something like $5 for them to get the stars on their belly. And so all of the ones that didn't have stars on their belly went ahead and put stars on their belly and went to the ones that had stars on their belly originally and said, look, we are, you know, we are, um, you know, we're just like you. We have stars on our bellies now. You don't have to treat us this way. Well, the ones that had the belly stars on the belly in the first place were really out and done by this. Well, the same little monster had a machine that could take the stars off of the belly. So all of the ones that originally had the stars on the belly went ahead and uh, got on this machine. And here's the thing that was interesting about this. To take the star off, it cost $10 instead of the 5 So... The start with the uh, you know when they when they they all of the ones that originally had the stars took their you know had their stars taken off and said look we can still tell the difference between you and I because we no longer have the stars so now that we don't have the stars we are still more superior to you so what began happening was there was this sort of ongoing thing where where you know the there was they kept getting the stars put on the belly taken off the belly to you know on the belly taken off and you know and all the while there was the little monster that you know that had all of their money because of this <laughs> prejudice that they have i mean it's absolutely absurd absurd so what happened was when they completely ran out of money, all of them were all mixed up. You know, the ones, some of the ones that had stars, 
you know, no longer had stars, and then some that did have stars, they may have had maybe one or two stars, or it, it was just a mess, just a mess. Well, the little monster that has a machine is laughing at them while he's driving away and saying that snitches, you know, as silly as they are, they will never learn and drives off with all of their money because, you know, <laughs> you know, they were caught up in their own story. Well, you know, after after the monster left, they really kind of sat down with each other and said, you know, this is really ridiculous what we have done to ourselves. And so they made, they started making the, you know, making inroads to get to know one another and to be more loving and accepting of one another. And it wasn't about the, whether or not you had a star on your belly or not on your belly or whatever the case may be. It was just the fact that you were a sneak. And and as a result of it, they did actually learn. The little monster was incorrect. They did actually learn from the error of their ways. But yes, one of my one of the I guess you could say Dr. Seuss is very very good at at um, talking about prejudice and racism and things of that nature. Um, in in terms of you know relaying that information. Um, uh, relating that type of information, uh, uh, you know, to children. Um, but yeah, after, um, I, you know, it's one of the, uh, one of those one of those powerful stories that I recall growing up with when I was a child. I like that story because it <laughs> illustrates a very very good point. You know, there's someone profiting off of prejudice. And it's all for nothing. It's all for nothing. You're caught up in a story that has no real basis. You know, people are people regardless. You think when Jesus walked the earth, he was like, well, I'm not going to talk to you because you're this and I'm that. That's crazy. Do God Mm -hmm. sit in heaven and say, I like these people better than these people? No, that's crazy. You know, and so to put a star on your belly and take it off your belly and go back and forth and to spend all your money, that's someone who don't care what you are. That person only cares about your money, and they're constantly taking your money. And that's really what it comes down to. You know, when it comes down to the greatness of this country, capitalism don't care really what color you are. Capitalism plays everybody against the center. And in the meantime, we're taking your money. And so as long as you ain't paying attention to what we're doing, we can play you against each other and take your money. Stay focused on them. You know, hate that person because they're black. Hate that person because they're Mexican. Hate that person because they're Asian. Hate that person because they're white. But in the meantime, we're going to raise gas prices. In the meantime, food prices are going to go up. In the meantime, clothes is going to go up. In the meantime, your rent's going to go up. In the meantime, we're going to tax you because it's raining. In the meantime, you know, it's always about taking more and more and more of your revenue. And the rich get richer, poor get more angry. And and here's the thing that I find rather interesting about it, Brad, that you 
had me bring up uh, bring up that story. I think that for the most part, um, the the person that is going to be our president, um, you know, did exactly did exactly that, and exactly who has he put in his cabinet with him, except for a whole bunch of people who who are into you know profiting off of others. Ha ha. Go ahead, Jamel. No, I was gonna say I, exactly. I mean, he, you know, like I said prior, you know, it's like he's draining the swamp, but he's just replacing them with new swamp monsters. Mhm. Mhm. You know, that's the unfortunate thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's what we're faced with because you know we're falling asleep. We're not paying attention. We're allowing ourselves to fall into this trap, that trap, men versus women, black versus white, you know, and then even in those groups, those groups break down to more battles, you know, short versus tall, big butt versus small butt, fat versus skinny, (laughs) glasses versus good eyesight, good hair versus bad hair. Next thing you know, you break out into a Spike Lee musical. It's just ridiculous. (laughs) So let let me move on to uh, the next question before we take a break. Um, What proof have you seen of the making America hate again. So have you personally seen, I mean, not just what we've seen on the news, but what proof have you personally seen of the making America hate again? I I don't know if I've actually experienced anything personally myself other than a whole lot. I What I tend to run into is a whole lot of what I call white guilt. And um Generally, what what I, what the people that I come across, you know, you know, I I create an atmosphere that is calming, relaxing, and things of that nature. But apparently, this is something that is on the forefront of their minds, and then the majority of them are, you know, uh, there was only one person that I think that that he actually shared with me that he, you know, that he had actually voted for um, Donald Trump. And uh, the, you know, and the thing was is that he didn't really think that the man was going to win. And that was another thing. <laughs> he didn't think he was going to win. And he, he, he said that the reason why he voted for him was because, uh, you know, Donald Trump was in a part of the establishment. And so, and so the thing, uh, I, I think, you know, he, he asked, he says, you know, I, I'm, I'm surprised that he won. I was like, well, I'm not. I mean, and and uh, he was like, really? I was like, no, I'm not surprised. Um, I said, uh, and I said, my now he was like, well, did you vote for him? I was like, no, I didn't vote for the guy. I said, because I already, like, all the stuff that's happening now, I knew that, that, I mean, he represented something more, you know, he represented more than just, Whatever it is that you're thinking about, we're thinking about now the establishment and all of that. It was more than that. It was about more than that. You you're bringing in a person 
who who represents everything that is really like rather wrong with this country, everything that came out of the man's mouth. It was just like complete like, complete insanity. So the fact that, you know, you got your your you have your family members that are upset about it and then you have, you know, people getting beat up and, and you know, getting into uh, like these these nonsensical fights over what I, I had already seen that, and he was like, well, man, you must have had a crystal ball or something like that. I was like, well, um, I said, well, the thing is, is like, you know, here's the thing. I wasn't surprised because, first off, when when you don't deal with an issue, when you don't deal with an issue, it always comes up, and it's in your face. And I said, the way, you know, and he was like, you mean racism? I was like, yeah, but like, even more than that, it, it's more than just, the racism, it's, it's everything else. I said, but America has never really dealt with the history of its foundation um, and the, the use, the, the absolute, like, use of people, um, the, the abuse of people, you know, for a long time. And then you have people who are out there who will tell you, well, no, you know, it's not really like that. Well, yeah, well you know, you, you got this guy as a part of your leader, uh, as the leader of uh, the United States. So obviously there is something within our consciousness that we have not fully dealt with yet, and that is the reason why. And I said, but, you know, overall I'm optimistic because the people who were denying it cannot really deny it anymore. They get upset. You know, like I said, faced with a lot of guilt, but they get upset uh, when they see him. I said, but, you know, I was like, I was like, well, you know, but here's my take on it in terms of race. What, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, I don't know what your spiritual leading is. And he told me, he was like, well, I'm Catholic. I was like, look, if, if God you know, if your God created all things, the creator, he's the source of creation and created all all things and all people, all these people, obviously the source of creation doesn't have a problem with all of these, the, all of the people looking the way they do. So what is the problem? What is the problem? And it was like, and, you know, he, he was a little bit drunk, a little tipsy, but he was... Uh, you know, it was almost like it, it hadn't occurred to him to really think of it like that, that that the source that created him created me, and the the, the creator created all of the other people that, that are around him that may not necessarily look with him. So the source that created us did not have a problem with diversity. In fact, it, you know, source seems to take a great deal of pleasure and and just making this world, you know, uh, you know, re- unique in its in a multi, you know, in a multi, a multi, what is it? Sort of a multi in various different ways. Every grain of salt, ha- every grain of sand looks different. Uh, every blade of grass looks different. Every leaf looks different. Every snowflake is different. I mean, you know, like. The the creator, that is the space that the creator is operating in. So why is it that we as human beings can't seem to, you know, be at peace with that? 
we look for differences within each other, and it's it's like absolute insan absolute insanity when you when we come from a God that can that continues to show us over and over again, uh, how it expresses it, uh, expresses itself in in various different ways, and 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 none none of it none of it looks absolutely the same, even when it comes down to twins. Even the twins don't look absolutely the same. There is differences between twins, even you know, even with things that that look like doubles, they're not quite the same. So he his response to me was, "Well, that seems to be an oversimplified way of looking at it." But then you could still feel the wheels in his head turning. He was like, "But then I, I suppose that we as human beings, you know, uh, overcomplicate it unnecessarily." So I guess I'm, you know, I, I, I guess what I'm saying is that ultimately this will, you know, there have been people who have been really apathetic and have not really, not really, I guess you could say, have been denying um, that there has been an issue and it is, has been a problem. And, you know, the president-elect really represents what it is that this country really needs to heal about itself. And, you know, this is, you know, I, I really, on uh, you know, in my core, I really feel that this is going to give people the opportunity to get out of their apathy, to get them in that uncomfortable place that they need to get to in order to grow and move and to develop and to be more expansive. And, um, you know, it's just sort of a wait and see type of thing to see what the outcome will be. I will keep doing my thing because, you know, my thing is about... Well, early on, I won't stop you because you're moving into different sections. We're going to talk about that. (laughs) Jamel, I want you to get in there. I want to go back to the question. Arlene got a little past the question. What proof have you seen, if any, that America is, you know, hating again? Oh, what proof? Again? Yeah, if any. I think they never stopped. I think that, uh, you know, it looks... It looks different with um, with the times. I think you know that's something you know we forget that racism has take has evolved, um, and, and I think only a fool would believe that it hasn't is never existed or that it's ever gone away. It's interesting that we are um, having this conversation, especially with the new you know administration that's coming in. But it's important that you know we've always needed to kind of band together. To, to get our needs met. I think oftentimes you have these people out here, you know, the Raven Simones and the Little Waynes and the folks that like to say that racism doesn't exist just because they're they're wealthy and they're rich and in their mind, hey, you know, I'm good, I'm taken care of. But what about the people who, you know, the little people who support them, people that are are uh, their fans? You know, those folks experience racism every day. A dollar, a dollar bill in some cases will shut down racism because people just want your money. But when you don't have anything to give, it's easy for them to, you know, keep you keep you separate. So, I, you know, I would argue that, a, you know, racism has never gone away. It's only evolved. It looks different if you have money. But, I, you know, it, it's important that we never forget um, that it's never gone anywhere. We, we're living in a country that, like I said, we, we have yet to reach our, uh, our greatness because folks are holding on to the past. 
You know, Donald Trump's whole campaign was based on the past. The people who elected him, you know, were hoping, you know, they want to go back to the, the white Eisenhower days, you know, where they can say what they want and do what they want. And uh, it's important that we, like I said, we band together as a people. And I'm not even, I guess I shouldn't even talk about just African Americans as black people. I think it's going to take for everyone to demonstrate that dissatisfaction. Because what they'll say about it, if it's just black people, it's like, oh, well, they're, they're bitching and they're complaining again. They're complaining again. They're whining again. But if it's everyone, then they have no choice. And see, that's why it's always important that they keep people separated based on race, cultural identity, socioeconomic status. Because then you say, see, they're complaining. Um, so to answer your question, I don't think I don't think the racism has ever stopped. I think it just looks different. Okay, but have you personally sensed this? Because, you know, we've seen on the news, we've heard, you know, people saying that people around them are now just blatantly saying racist things. Have you personally experienced any of that since the election? Have you been at work and heard somebody just use the N-word like it's okay now or, you know, say things that they wouldn't have necessarily said a year or two ago? Well, yeah, I, I will say yes to that. Um, I have um, – I, I don't know if I mentioned that I'm also a student and uh, was in class, and I don't know if the classmate just felt that comfortable with me, but I think he felt the need to, you know, use the N-word, but he used it in reference to someone else. But the fact that he – you know, the, the fact that he felt comfortable enough to use it, I think that for him it was just something he felt like he could get away with. Um and for me, you know, I don't, I don't feel the need to fight the good fight, you know, all the time, every time, because sometimes it's just not necessary. But I just kind of filed it away because there are moments where he wants to be, you know, the Negro's friend, and then there's then there's time when he, you know, he wants to, you know, present himself, you know, as, and being clear as what he what he is. Now, you know, personally, this is who he is. I, I wasn't surprised. I didn't. I didn't look a different kind of way. I just kind of, you know, say, okay, I'm, let me file that one away because he's he's using this. And I don't know these folks other than the times that I show up for class. So I I just kind of filed that way. Now personally, I would I would consider that uh, an attack because he didn't consider. There was no cultural sensitivity there. We're all doctoral students. You know, there's there's a there's a. Uh, if I was a Jewish student and he had made a comment about my Jewish ethnicity. You know the ADL. He would that would have he he wouldn't have done it because that would be fair of the ADL. But because he felt that hey, you know I can get away with this, he just went ahead and di- and did it. And so I you know I just say all this say that I'm I'm not surprised. And yes, I have been uh, you know subject to an an a, a racial attack. Nothing like getting attacked physically and, and beaten. But you know intellectual attack is nevertheless still an attack. Mhm. Okay. All right. And I ask that because, you know, we've heard the stories. Um, I, I know that I have. People are saying that, you know, people are just more brazen now than they've passed people. And, you know, it's just they're saying racist things like it's all of a sudden okay. Now, I myself have not personally had that experience. Um, and, of course, you know, my my regular job, I work in a corporate office, and in the particular area where I am, I am the only African-American as well as the only male. And I haven't seen or heard any of that from the women that I work with. As a matter of fact, they were highly upset. Even one who is a Republican was highly upset that, you know, 
this guy won the election. Um, and they are, what I get a lot from them is a whole lot of fear. You know, they fear he's going to mess up life as they know it. And that that's what I've kind of found. Um, I haven't ran into yet, and hopefully I don't, I haven't ran into that foolish person who thinks, you know, now that we got this boy in office, we can say whatever the doggone heck we want to say. I haven't ran into that person, and hopefully not, you know. So even like a, a week ago, you know, I hung out with a friend of mine, and we hung out with friends of hers who just happened to be Caucasian. She's not, but her friends were. And there was one person there who was a Trump supporter, and I felt bad for him. That's how bad they beat him up. <laughs> you know, and it, it was like white on white violence. <laughs> they, they they beat him up so bad, and then they asked his Asian girlfriend why you didn't fix him, and I was just like, Well, darn. <laughs> darn. you know, it, it was just brutal in there. <laughs> But it, but it was reverse, you know what I mean? It wasn't the Trump supporter that was doing it. It was the Trump supporter who was being beat down. And really, I mean, he just couldn't say anything anymore. He just stopped talking altogether, kind of dipped his head a little bit. Wow. Yeah, that's what I said. I just looked at him, and I was like, man, I feel bad for this guy, and I don't feel bad for nobody. But, I mean, darn, they just kind of <laughs> verbally kicked his butt, you know. And these are people who have been his friends for years. One of them was even a roommate for several years. And it was just like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> So, but but anyway, uh, I'm going to go ahead and take this time and I'm going to go ahead and take a break. We're going to hear a family healing circle commercial and then we'll be back. Welcome to the family healing circle where we inspire awareness, motivation, and ideas for all areas of your life. On Sundays, we have Make Me Feel It Radio with Stacey Ferguson. This show aims to inspire people as it seeks to grow and change the world through personal and financial development. On Monday, we have Totally Hold with Pastor Cook. This show addresses issues surrounding mental health and spirituality. On Thursdays, it's four to five different shows a month. On the first Thursday of the month, we have Total Empowerment with Angela Hardy, where beauty and strength are celebrated and enhanced inside and out. And on the second Thursday of the month, we have One Love, One Connection, One Us with Reverend Arlene Cahat and Reverend Harvey L. Bailey, where they give you ideas and strategies on how to create, attract, and transform your relationship into a spiritual union. And on the third Thursday of the month, we have The Sacred Masculine Show with Reverend Jamel Gilliam. This show is for spiritual brothers and the women who love them. And on the fourth Thursday of the month, we have the Inner Consciousness with Reverend Harvey L. Bailey. This show explores the inner workings of the mind and gives advice on spiritual growth and self-healing. And on the fifth Thursday of the month, we have Healing Paradigms with Reverend Arlene Cahet. This show aims to provide a shift in perspective that provides healing and personal growth. 
And on Friday, we have Let's Talk Love, Sex, and Nutrition with Bonnie Walters and Zilana. This is sex talk like you've never heard it before. This is the Family Healing Circle on Blog Talk Radio. All shows from Sunday through Thursday start at 7 p.m. and on Friday at 7.30 p.m. And now you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, Family Healing Circle Media. This is the Family Healing Circle where we heal the mind, body, and soul. World peace or world talk.
shackles on our mind it's not about what's what you have and what you don't have it's all about the mindset it's about who you are and feeling the way you feel when others have something you don't have or you perceive others to have something you don't have when you feel powerless a lot of what we saw this past November was a, a strong part of middle America and some other areas that just felt powerless. They felt like everything they knew was going away. And that's not necessarily the truth, but that's how they perceived it. And, and desperate people do desperate things. And so they acted out in a desperate way. In a way that, well, it's a way that the world saw in the mid to late 30s when a young German guy came to power and started his movement because people were desperate. And it's you take so much pain before you stand up and you fight back. Some people are willing to take more pain. With that, I'd like to say this, and after I say this, um, I want both Arlene and Jamel to get a chance to chime in, but I also want to bring one of our regular listeners on the line, Mr. Amir, who's been out there listening. I know he would love to get a chance to just say some things. But, Arlene, I want to say this. You talked about, you know, being in the military, and the military has done some bad things. This is true. But the military has also done a lot of good. The United States military has done a lot of good. Mm-hmm. And there's a certain pride that comes with wearing that uniform, and it's not necessarily about the history of it, because as I mentioned earlier, you know, the we have learned from watching cowboy movies on um, Saturday mornings as kids that it's cowboys versus Indians. That was even the game we played as little kids, and it's the football game we love to see twice a year. But it's it was never cowboys versus Indians. Cowboys didn't have a problem with Indians. Cowboys were laborers. They were workers. It was the United States government 
basically the United States Army versus Indians. It was the United States Army that displaced the Indians. So, yes, you know, it, it was the United States military that took Hawaii, but that was for businessmen because they wanted it. They would have done the same thing with Cuba if they could have got away with it. But Castro saw it differently. And so I say this to say there is a whole lot of good that's been done. Even though there's things like that you could point out, there's a lot of good that's been done by the military. World Wars mm-hmm. One and World Wars Two, you know, a lot of police actions. A lot of countries have a democratic system and freedom that would not have existed that they would not have had had it not been for that. So when you put on that uniform and you go through, you know, whether it's eight weeks of hell or, like me, 13 weeks of hell, it's something you take pride in because not everybody can do it. Not everybody can Mm -hmm. make it. Not everybody can be a soldier. And some of those who become soldiers can't make it through their whole tour. So there is a a, a pride that goes with it because even – uh, someone who stands for peace, peace comes at a price. And sometimes you have to fight for that price. You have to fight for that peace. You know, as peaceful as you are, you can't always turn the other cheek because eventually your jaw get broken. That's all I wanted to say on that. And I just want you guys to go ahead and chime in before I give Amir a chance to get online with us. Um. Is there is there a question or do you there want was me no to give question. One? Just if there was anything that you wanted to say in regards to what I was just saying. Um, you know, and and here um, here's my you know. Let's just put it this way. Um, I think I think um, and and it's, I hope that nobody takes offense to what I said. It's just that with what you said about. Um, the, I guess you could say, the corporate interests being incorporated into having our military act on those interests, mm-hmm. uh, it does it does a disservice to the the men and women who wear the uniform. Um, but I was bringing I was bringing that up as you know one of those things where how can I put it. Uh, that that is sort of symptomatic of of the things that have taken place uh, throughout the history that have contributed to racism or mm-hmm. prejudice. I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. I agree. All right, Jamel. If there's anything you want to say, if not, I'll go ahead and I'll let Amir get on with us for a minute. Yeah, I like to hear from Amir. That's that's cool. Okay. <laughs> Brother Amir, how are you today? Uh, well, great, great, fantastic, and exciting um, topic tonight. I'm glad that I was uh, instructed to uh, join in, not knowing <laughs> that I was going to be a part of the, uh, the audience in the conversation. But <laughs> you're right, I was listening. But being from a, a, a very predominant military family, I had a gentleman who was kind of berating the fact that we were military men. So I, I asked him, how successful was the Black Panthers in training and teaching you how to operate in 
protection or military fashion. How successful were they? They weren't too successful, were they? Hmm. The only real success in that ideology that came was advertised in a movie back in the 70s, the spook that sat behind, sat beside the door. <laughs> I knew you yes, were going to go there. <laughs> Great movie. However, that's the only methodology that we as as military men can get that kind of training and understanding in the when the, if the end the presentment of the opportunity we have to protect our own, we have trained and been trained by the masses who've been training. We've been trained by the world's greatest military minds ever. We were we were more prepared for war than the Roman soldiers were, and they marched harder than we did. However, that time span or that time has come now that if you don't have the training, those who do will have some, you have someone to train. So it, it, I told him, I said, there was no place you could have gone black, white, or indifferent except now in the, you know, those militias up in the uh, northern Michigan and Wisconsin, but they didn't, if you had a permanent tan, you weren't getting in those camps. So in order for us to get it, we had to get it the, the way that was, um, I, I guess we were just great followers because we didn't get a chance to find out why are we going to Vietnam? For what purpose are we going to Vietnam? Or, or why are we going to, to Northern Ireland? Or why are we in uh, uh, Afghanistan? Well, there was no, no no question of why. It was just, you got orders, you did it in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Or, or as our parents used to tell us, because I said so. <laughs> it, it, it just, that was the, the more um, military version of what parents used to say. Of course, now, even in the military, you have to give a, if the question is asked, you have to give a, a, a answer that's going to even still make them follow the order. So mm-hmm. I'm, 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 I don't see that as a, as a problem. Where the problem comes in at now is that we have a we have been given permission to be as ignorant as you as you want to be without any reper, reper, repercussion of, of what's going to happen if you show how ignorant you really are. And, and that and that's sad. Because now, as a man of color, I have to be a, that much more of a politician to not want to break your jaw when you step out of line. Just show you as show you as the the uninformed, ignorant person that you've always been. But now you got the courage to put it put it up to verbally, and I think it's just going to show us that we have to still be the greater man, still stand. When they when they get to the point where look, I gave you a pass and gave you an gave you an explanation. Now, if you can't get that conversation, I have a couple of friends that can help you get a better understanding. All right. So I'm not, I'm not advocating violence, but I'm not advocating uh, continued abuse verbally from by anybody. I don't think that's necessary. We have we have elected a, a president. We, he has a job to do, and yes, if he screws up, he'll be out of there. But we—that's the only time they, that I'm going to say give him a chance to show how brilliant he's not. That's the only time I, I can say that. Other than that, it's, it's going to be 
and a very interesting ride these next 100 days. Yeah, yeah, it will. And, and you know, I, I just want to say about the movie that you brought up. Well, it was a very good book, but if you saw the movie, if uh, you, myself, Jamel, um, we may remember Hogan's Heroes. So the yeah. star of the movie, Ivan Dixon, was mm-hmm. the guy who never got to come out of the basement. He was the radio operator, the one there black guy in Hogan's Heroes. <laughs> but yep. another important thing about that was it was inspired by true events that happened. Um, the guy who excited the riot, it was no one person who incited the riot, so there was no one guy trained by the CIA as in the movie. But in 1967 in Detroit, Michigan, you know, the race riots became so intense and it got to be so big that the police could not take it down. And so if you remember at the end of the movie when he brung the gangs together and they started the riots and then the National Guard came out and they took right. the National Guard as hostage? Well, that's kind right. of what happened in 1967. The National Guard, being part-time troops, could not put down the riots. And that's typical. First, you start off with, uh, those of us in Baltimore saw this a year ago, you start off with the front line, which is the police. When things escalate beyond the police, you call for other police like the state troopers and whatever. The FBI right. comes in as consultants, but the National Guard goes in next. In 1967 in Detroit, the National Guard was rendered useless against the riots. They had to bring in the 82nd Airborne in order to shut this thing down. Right. And that speaks to what you were saying about organization. You know, that's what you learn in the military. And, again, I'm not – Arlene, I don't want you to feel I'm I'm going after you for what you said. I just wanted to bring that point up Um, because in any – battle and it doesn't have to be a physical battle you know because i don't think we need to have a physical revolution but this new administration it signals a revolution but the revolution must include all people not just people of color but all people people to say enough is enough you know if you really want (laughs) world peace we've got to take world peace and what we saw Well, the big lesson that the military learned from Detroit 1967 is that you don't have trained troops and strong command. Things fall apart, and they fall apart real fast. So I'm really glad that you brought that up, and I didn't even prompt you. I didn't even pay you. (laughs) It just worked out that you were going right in the direction that I was trying to get to. Amir, it's always a pleasure having you on the line, man. Thank you for being here today. That just goes to show you that the one power that we that we avoid the most is the power of unity. Whenever we are unified, that's when they that's when they they can they cannot no longer have the the power of divide and conquer. We that's feel that you know I'm down here in, in warm South Florida and you up there in Baltimore. We're separate. No, we're still the same because if I come there, I'm going to look exactly like you, just a little taller. <laughs> that's, the only, that's the only difference is space. Other than that, we got it. We got to be unified as 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 people in order for even to go past just the race. We got to be unified with common mind to people. We just got it. We just just got to unify. Got to get unified. 
Absolutely. And again, Amir, we always appreciate you being on the show. I appreciate you being here with me today on this, my last show. Um, hey, man, let's just keep in touch, all right? That we shall do, my brother. That we shall do. All right. All right, man. You have a great day, and I'm going to put you back in the listening mode. All right, Angie, why don't you, uh, well, let me introduce Miss Angela Hardy, who is also one of the hosts here on the Family Healing Circle. Angie, why don't you tell us a little about yourself, and I will start the next question off asking you after we find out a little bit about you. What's up, what's up, what's up? Hi. Can you all hey. hear me okay? Okay. Hey. A little about Angie. Right now, Angie is tired, but that's okay because I had to make all these last shows. But I am a spa, full service spa owner. I'm a beauty enhancer. Um, I do a lot. I make products. I mentor. I coach. So I, I got a lot of things on my plate, but for the most part, I am a person that just loves to enhance beauty both inside and out in multiple ways. All right. So, Angie, the question we're up to now is, if nothing is done to change America, what do you see for the future? Um, I, I see us doing what we put our energy and our thoughts into. I, I, you know, I don't feel threatened. I'm not living in a bubble. It's not that I don't think that. I don't see the reality of what's happening. It's not that I don't see the reality of Trump, but I also feel like I don't want to give that power um, and feel like, oh, I'm doomed (laughs) because of the administration. So I see the future of America to be continuously divided, um, as I think it already is. I see it to be more visible and discussed more. But I also see people focusing on it a lot more. So that's just going to cause it to grow. Um, But for me personally, you know, I don't feel – I know there are some people that just feel like, oh, we're just in a mess and we just blend. I feel like this is the time to dig deep and this is the time to, you know, know your own power and your own limitations and your own strength. Um, And so I'm kind of one of those, I guess, positive thinkers um, where I feel that America is it's in a challenging place, but I don't think it's any place that we haven't been in. I don't I don't feel it's just new. Like I don't see just what we're going through to be new. I see it to be more social media, more advertised, but we've been here, you know. So we we'll get through it. All right. All right. Arlene, Jamel, one of you guys wanna jump in? Yeah, I think um, I think you know, definitely it's about positivity. I, I think she hit the nail on the head with that one. Uh, we don't want to feed the beast, but I think we also be we also should be informed, uh, not blissfully uh, avoidant or ignorant of what's happening. I think there's some things that you know we gotta we gotta call it out and and, and recognize it for what it is. Um, I see things because the people that came before me uh, called it out, and I'm. You know, I'm going to work hard to make sure that my children recognize uh, foolishness when when they see it, as opposed to being, you know, duped or falling for the okie doke. All right, Arlene. Um, 
what uh, you're asking, what do I see for the future of this country? Yes, yeah. if nothing is done to change America, what do you see for the future? I don't know. Um, then we'll see. Yeah, okay. <laughs> It's a little difficult to answer that because um, um, I, I do see I do see America changing in in terms of uh, in, in terms of its direction. I I think that uh, the America is going through um, you know I'm talking as a collective. Uh, the hive mind is going through its uh, going through its uh, sort of an introspective uh, period where it's really having to make the decision about where, you know, they want to, where they're wanting to go from here. Um, if, if it was to, if it was to not change them, we would probably <laughs> see Trump in for another four years, but I, I don't even see that happening. After the first four, I I just you know I don't see that happening, um, um, and it would be more of the same. So, but I you know the that that is not a reality, um, not a reality um, for me in terms of in 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 terms of how things are moving. I. I know that I, I actively work with a group who who is um, you know doing things on the spiritual level to. to well, hold on, Arlene. Once again, you're moving into another question. Uh, okay. <laughs> but like, let oh, me ask no, the question, but... and then I'm gonna give it back to you. The next question is, what can we do to make the change? So go ahead and finish where you were going, which is <laughs> what's happening to make the change. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, okay. So before before you know, one of the things that I I do uh, Monday on the love journey. Um, is I do a prayer, uh, a medit- what I call a meditative prayer, and essentially what what the prayer is working on is shifting the consciousness um, of this of this uh, of the world uh, of the world because you know what's going on over here in the, U- in the United States is something that is symptomatic. Uh, on other parts of the globe, so it's it's not just here. It's just that this is our, you know, this is at least a small monicum of our our reality here in the United States. But um, the 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 prayer um, that I do, like the very first thing in the morning every day, um, but um, the prayer is is focusing in. Um, the shift in consciousness for the the collective mind. Um, I got downloaded with the information that that in order for there to be a change on the on the physical level uh, to see more, you know, to see more harmony, to see more peace, and things of that nature, 
that the collective had to be prayed for, that there there needed to be um, a large amount of people who who had that as a particular uh, a particular focus, and and um, and essentially they we take that we take that concept and expand it throughout our family, throughout our nation, and throughout the world, and then we send out uh, a universal pulse out into the universe in order for for that change to take place. Um, my recommendation um, for for people is if they can do something similar uh, in the morning where they're praying for the consciousness of the world and praying for the consciousness of peace and not only just praying for it, but actually being in that feeling state of how that feels, then, you know, what you're what you're doing is you're emanating that particular vibration of peace, of harmony, and things of that nature. Now, I will say that I have actually seen in my own experience that that I bring that calm, I bring that peace, I bring that wholeness, that wholeness, perfectness, and completeness that uh, that I pray for the world um, in in my more um, immediate uh, experiences. Um, and, and you know, if if I was to truly like disconnect from um, from the media you know, or from social, yeah, from social media and the media, you know, the news and things of that nature. I probably would not recognize that there was actually a problem because I tend to live a rather uh, peaceful and, and calm type of life. But but this is what needs to be done for for the collective to to have that shift. I know that it may. And here's a and here's uh, another thing that I want to suggest to people who may actually listen to me and say that doesn't sound like reality. Uh, I would suggest that you go ahead and do it anyway um, and be in that feeling state of what that would feel like um, before you go out and you uh, you go ahead and experience the world as you experienced it because regardless of wherever you are in your experience, when you have that as an intention um, for the collective, uh, it, it has an impact and it will have an impact in your personal experience, and even if you have to come to a place where you are experienced like fisticuffs, uh, there it will it will have. I, I guess you could say, it you will be you you're going to be in a place where you may be able to de-escalate the experience um, um, more quickly than if you had not prepared in the morning. All right. Well, thank you, Arlene. Anyone mm-hmm. else want to chime in on this question? Who wants to go next? Well, you're asking us about the uh, what, what can we, we do, do to, make, to a make a change. Yes. You know, I, I think we're doing. I think all of us can do something, and I think you know we're all doing based on our own individual personalities, talents, and gifts. We are doing it. I think you know. We have folks here that are ordained as ministers that are providing uh, counseling and folks that are, you know, providing services to others and encouragement. I think those are the things we need. We need all those things. I, I wouldn't say that we all got to get out here and do uh, uh, rifle and boot training. I think that there's a, a place for everything. And, and you know, I, I believe all of us on the phone on this call have children, and so 
that's the other thing instilling in our children, you know, the, the values so that the you know some of this ugliness uh, doesn't you know transpire into the next generation. We we need to let our children know that there are better things out there for them. I I recently took my son to there's a plantation in Towson for folks that folks that don't, that don't know, and for folks that are in the Baltimore area. And uh, I had I had family in town, my wife's side of the family, and my wife was eager to show them the plantation because they don't have plantations on the West Coast because they didn't have slavery. Slavery, and so we're on this we're on this plantation. I've been there before, you know. I wasn't necessarily impressed. I had been there before, and so we're doing a tour. And my 11 year old son, you know, just became upset. And I think that was probably the moment that he realized that, you know, all folks weren't, you know. Not necessarily were equal, but you know there was some some bad guys. There was some mistreatment. There was some some institutional things happening, you know, and some things wrong with this country. And so I I, I removed him from the tour so I could kind of talk to him, you know, aside and fill him with words of encouragement, only so he could understand that you know this is this isn't our story and this isn't where uh, it's a part of our story, but it isn't our story entirely and it isn't where we began or where we're leaving off. And just kind of giving him those words, and I think it's important, uh, you know, that each of us we we each give our children and other people that we come in contact with those types of things, those words of encouragement. And I, and I think we're doing that for the most part. I I know each and every one of you on the, on this call personally, and I know that this is something that you do. And so I would say, you know, not to stop there because even the people that we are encouraging, they're going to pass it on, and we can just start this cycle, you know, of um, you know, just positivity because it's a lot of stuff going on right now. A lot of confusion, a lot of fear, and we and and it's got to stop somewhere. And we, you know, we can be a part of that. So I think we're all doing it. Okay. Think? All right, Angie. Well, okay. So I guess for me, <laughs> and people on the call won't be surprised that I have a question about the question. But what? Okay. When you say change, what is the change that uh-huh. you're representing? What is the change that you're looking for? Okay. Can you hear me okay? Well, okay. Yes, I am going to answer your question. And so the change that I'm referencing is, uh, and it's a change for the better, but it's just to kind of bring you up to what we were talking about. We started off by asking about, is making America hate real, or is it just propaganda? And we talked about, is America great? So one of the things that the three of us agreed upon is that America is not necessarily great, but it has the potential to be great. And we also kind of discussed, as you heard um, Arlene and Jamel talking about, what we see in the world today, even coming off of that last question. So making the change, making the change for a better, making it a better world. A better United States, but more importantly, a better world. So, understanding that this is on the heels of President-elect Trump, correct? Um, It's not, but it got to be. It's on the heels of okay. the environment of America right now and the temperature of what's going on in America. Um, okay. As came out earlier, just to summarize it, you kind of said it as well. It's always been a part of America, but That's it's been pushed down and kind of, you know, hidden a little bit. With mm-hmm. this new administration coming in in a few weeks, it's been like, okay, it's it's free to go ahead and say and do what you want. Well, I, 
for me, and I'm sure it's probably plenty of people is not going to agree with what I'm about to say. For me, I feel like America is changing for the better. Despite all that's going on, uh, you know, go back to my first comment, it's been going on. So I don't see the division. I don't see racism. I don't see crime. I don't see those things really disappearing or going away. So if if I see those things as being, unfortunately, a staple part of society in some form or fashion, you know, I, I don't I don't really see that going away. Then I do see some other changes that have been beneficial in America in comparison to the past. You know, it, I just feel like it's always going to be there. It was masked maybe differently before, um, but there's still opportunities that that's come within years, you know, over time. There's still been, you know, just empowerment amongst each other. And I, I guess for me it's like I don't really see that to be new, nor do I see it going away. So I, if you look at the other side of the coin, there has been some changes that has been for the better with the understanding that it's always going to it's always going to be that side of it. So, okay. So what you would know, you say can be done way. to, you know, make a change, if anything? Well, I really believe it starts within individuals. It starts with us. I mean, if it's something as simple as, you know, providing more love, if it's something as simple as giving more appreciation to each other and showing more gratitude and saying thank you and taking the time out. I mean, for me personally, you know, I'm, I'm big on doing self-reflection. For me personally, it was realizing that, I needed to kind of balance business and family more than I did. I needed to talk, you know, to my daughter in a different manner so that it was received differently. I needed to realize, you know, the things that I was doing that might not necessarily show love in the past. It, it might have been, you know, it could have been different. So I think those steps are contagious. You know, I also think what you focus on grows and I attract more good than I do bad. So for me, I know people like you, people like us on the phone, I have a whole circle and a community of good people, but I'm also not putting that out and I'm also not focusing on it. So, it's, again, it's not that I don't think it's out there. It's not that I'm not aware. It's not that I don't make my daughter aware. Like we're going to go to, um, as on our travels for Canada, we're going to stop at Lewiston, New York, which is where people try to swim across the water to get free from the United States to Canada from a slavery standpoint. You know, so I'm educating her and I'm making her aware of her history, but we, we still got to do what, do our part and do what we can do and, and show love and show gratitude and, you know, take the steps within yourself of what you can do to change. And I think doing that, will attract others to change, and, 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 you know, we won't, hey, I may not change everybody, but I'll reach out to some people with the love that I want to show. Okay. And all that, there's no right or wrong answer here. This is all about what do you think can be done to make change, and all of these are valid things. Because if you're familiar with the butterfly effect, any one person changes everybody. You know, if a butterfly flaps its wings in South America, you know, a storm happens in Korea. So we're all connected. We're all one. Each one teach one. So if you're doing something to make you better, then it helps other people. Right. And for me also, earlier you asked me 
tell them about myself. And like I said, I do a lot, so I didn't go into details. But one of the things is I'm a trichologist. So I study hair loss, scalp disease, and disorder. So I meet men and women, but primarily women who come in with all types of hair issues, bald hair, thin hair, you know, whatever the conditions are. And these women come in with such shame, and they come in with their head held down, a hat on that they have to wear 24-7. And I'm able to empower them not just in providing, you know, hair, but I'm able to uplift their spirits and just conversation. So that right there took that person that might have felt broken and ashamed and, you know, gave her a new outlook on who she was in the mirror. You know, and so she goes out and she's a better person that I've even had husbands say, you know, my wife a lot better now she's becoming a you. You know, so there's there's different things that we have to practice within our own talents and skills, you know, to get that overall change or to improve upon America. But I, I do see some improvement, not from everyone, of course. I think you always want to have those people that are just, they just want to be who they want to be. Um, but I don't think that it's something to the point where we are just not growing and we're just not changing as a country. I think we are making some interesting decisions. <laughs> um, but being, and Harvey, I'm sure you can relate, but being one that has traveled into third world countries, America still is pretty cool. Like, you know, I, I remember walking the streets of Mumbai, India, and I was like, I'm ready to get home and pay my property taxes just so I can make sure I don't fall in the, the damn concrete. You know, so it's like there's still there's still a lot of benefits to being here in America, and I guess that's for me in comparison to living or not living, but traveling in other third world countries and traveling other places where it 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 gives you a sense of gratitude for even this craziness that we have going on now. Okay, and thank you. Thank you, Angie. So as we come to the end, I'm going to go ahead and throw my voice in there for what we can do to make a change. And really what we can do to make a change is anything that makes something better. If you plant a tree in your backyard, if you smile at somebody, because you don't know what kind of day that person may have had, and you don't know how important your smile may be, any act of kindness can make things better. You know, of the three of you that's on the line, I've only shared this in conversation with Arlene, but with the president-elect coming in, it, though it was not he was not my choice, I don't necessarily see him as a bad thing. What I understand about life and universal laws is that there has to be a positive and a negative. You only know everything that you know, and this is where I started off. I told my story and said that it didn't have to be my story. It got me the way I was, but I don't have to be tied to the story. So we only know life as we know it from opposite. If all you ever had was pizza, you don't know if you like a hot dog because you have no frame of reference. So when something comes in that's contrary, because the truth of the matter is, you know, as KRS-One said in the song World Peace, peace, love, hate, it's all equal. None is stronger than the other. But in the eyes of the Almighty, it's all the same. There is no negative or positive. It's all the same. It's a perception uh -huh. that we create. And sometimes you need that tension. You know, you need 
an Adolf Hitler. You need a Donald Trump. You need a Genghis Khan. You need something like that to shake things up in order to make people see things differently. And typically what it does is it makes people come together. You know, and a lot of people may not understand or feel this, but if you look at Pearl Harbor, you look at 9-11, and what happened after that is people came closer together. Tragedy brings people closer together. And so as Reverend Jamel about, um, it's not just a black thing. All people need to come together. Yes, we all need to come together. And it's not about going in the same direction. It's just saying that maybe this isn't the, the, the direction we want humanity to go in. So as Arlene is putting love out there every day with her meditations, she's changing the vibration of the world. That does huge things because everything is vibration. Everything. Your thoughts is a vibration. Your thoughts affect other people, whether you know it or not. And so as we talk to each other, as we do counseling, as we help people, as you educate your children, anything that you do, if you get up in the morning and you work out, that's helping your body, which in turn helps other people. It's collateral beauty. We're all connected. Everything benefits when something benefits. So just do something, something good. What I do every morning, I send love to myself, and then I send love to the whole wide world. And I hold the world in love for about 30 seconds to a minute. This is just my way of giving back. Find your way. Find what works for you. This may not be what worked for you. Find what works for you. But any way that you can find growth, anything that helps you get from where you are to somewhere else, that helps everybody. We've got about two minutes left, and I think my brother Amir wants to say a few more words, so I'm going to bring Amir back in. Hey, Amir, I'm, I'm going to have to ask you to make it quick, man. We only have a couple minutes left on the clock. Yeah, what yeah, can you problem. say for us? Um, to, to take the example of what we've had as an example for the past eight years of existence, we've had a family show us how to take negativity and re- reflect positivity back into the universe. I think the Obamas were a very good example on how we got to take these next four years and make America great. All right. Thank you, man. And I want to thank all of you for being here with me. It has been a pleasure doing the inner consciousness for the past two years, but this is my farewell show. And I appreciate every one of you for being here with me today as we do this show. Peace and blessings, family. Love you. You're blessing. You too, man. Does your heart ache to tell the truth about me?
So yes, it gets easier, it gets better, it becomes even more joyful. This is God work we're up to, you and I. So keep on... That is why you have been 